Isn't it fun to get into some Christmas songs? We love this time of year. Uh, I'm excited to be back with you this morning uh, after our family taking a little break, a little Thanksgiving break, uh, a well-needed uh, bit of rest. Um, fun to be back as well, though. So great uh, Friday night, our Dickens Carolers, who came at a great, wasn't a great time just to be here in the sanctuary. And if you would have asked me something new, I would experience that night and give me a thousand times to answer it. I would not have been able to tell you that uh, myself and our elder chair, Jack Rance, played leapfrog right here in front of the congregation. <laughs> We're not going to react that today, although somebody asked if we would. It happened. And there probably is video somewhere. It's not popping up right now unless somebody really is pulling a nasty trick. But I don't think it is. But it was a fun night. It was just fun to be back together as a church family. Uh, enjoyed a nice time as well. It was your way of Thanksgiving, visiting some family uh, in Tacoma. Uh, hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving as well as we head now into our Advent season. What is Advent? Advent is a time of, of waiting, a time of preparation, a time of celebration as we, we focus intentionally, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and all His life, really, His death, His resurrection, all of those things, but also as we prepare and wait for His second coming. So here's a question as we start today. Do you view the month of December like that? Personally? Or as a family, as a family, or as an individual? A time to prepare. A time to focus. Advent. To wait for Christmas Day. You know, our culture views this month with so many uh, different opportunities to wait for, whether it's presents or the feast or being together with, with family and friends, which are all good. But let's as a church, as I even prayed this morning, think of all those good things as pointing us to the ultimate good thing and prepare and think maybe in ways we haven't before even about the coming Messiah or as our Advent series is called, the coming light. The coming light. And while I said it's fun to open gifts, it's fun to give gifts and, and to decorate and all those things, let's help our children too realize that the ultimate story, what we live out of matters at Christmas time as Christians, as followers of, of Jesus. And what we highlight most becomes what's maybe most important even to our kids and our family and our friends. So let's this time acknowledge at this time of year the greatest gift is Jesus Christ, is God born as a human. Let's weave it in wherever we can. Weave it in wherever we can. And fathers, as I encourage you, is if you've got a family and kids, weave it in wherever you can this Christmas season. It's Advent season. Light is absolutely essential, isn't it? It's absolutely essential for our existence. Absolutely necessary. We are so dependent on light. Well, and even take light for granted for so many uh, things. Um, so much so that it only takes a power outage. And what do you do? You walk into a room and the power's out. What do you try to do? Flip the light on. You're like, what's going on? Oh, power outage, right? We take it for granted. The necessity of what we need uh, and, and what light is for. We need light. We love light. And Christmas is the, the season of, of, of light. You look out at Waite Park and all the homes around here decorated. It's beautiful. We also know and sense and have experienced before what the absence of light is like in unique ways. How many of you grew up afraid of the dark? Some willing to admit it. Good. Some brave. How many are still afraid of the dark? Anybody want to? Okay. 
you know that sense of, you know, you go into a, 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 a building after it is dark or in a place on a street when it's dark. For good reasons, I spend a lot of time here on our, our campus here, and many times I've walked through our building on a Saturday night when it is totally dark with my flashlight on on my iPhone. Walking around, because I don't want to find all the lights, flip them on, and, you know, walking around. And I have to tell you, this place feels a lot different when it is dark on a Saturday night than it does right now. All lit up with these uh, beautiful decorations that Sharon and Cindy did for us, you see out there, and and music and life and people and, and people here. It's way different on a Saturday night when you're walking around in the dark. A few of those Saturday nights, I have looked over my shoulder or paused. Did I hear something? And I'm sure we all have a story or two where we could talk about the comparison of light and darkness. It's a powerful comparison, isn't it? Powerful. And God's Word capitalizes on this. All throughout, the images of light and darkness and what they represent, God's Word, really, it's filled with images of light. All from beginning to end. Here's one of them. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. On day one, God creates light. And He separates it from darkness. And He calls it good. He gives us light. He gives us light. You're heading into our gray days of winter. You're probably thinking, seriously? Yeah, right. I promise, He gives us light. He gives us light. Well, that's the beginning of the Bible, Genesis. How about all the way to the end in Revelation? Here's another one. At the close of history, in the new heavens and earth, when the new Jerusalem descends, there's a wonderful description of light. God's glory giving us light. He just shines. Here it is. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Light from beginning Genesis to the end of Revelation. And so our series, we're going to look at Jesus, the coming light. And today we get to hear one of the most startling claims that Jesus ever made. And here it is. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We will look at, at the words of Jesus as He declares Himself to be the ultimate light as we begin our Advent series, The Coming Light. We're going to explore this morning the setting and the source of light in our passage. The setting of where Jesus said this and then the source of light, Jesus Himself, in our passage. So grab your outline. Hopefully you have it there and your text open to John 8 this morning. As first, we're going to look at the setting in which Jesus speaks these words. Because it's important. The setting in which Jesus speaks these words. As we look at this passage, we're going to see that Jesus speaks these words, I am the light of the world at the perfect time. Absolute perfect time because He is the perfect teacher. He's the perfect teacher. You know, you have one of those conversations or a discussion or a debate, maybe an argument, and, and then you walk away from it later on and you're thinking and you're rehearsing that in your mind the entire day I, oh i could have said that right or oh, i should have responded with this so that would have been perfect to say then jesus never had any of those obsessive conversations that we do in our mind in our heart after a conversation because he always said the right thing at the right 
perfect time. So what was the time when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? We're going to look at two little pieces about this. First one is this. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles. That was the time when Jesus said these words, I am the light of the world, or some call it the Festival of Tabernacles, because really it was a big party. It was. Maybe you're thinking, what is that? What is the Feast of Tabernacles, or the, 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 the Festival of Tabernacles? Because that's when Jesus said these words. In chapter 7, here's a couple of verses, right before we get to Jesus' words in chapter 8, he says this, or it says, John records this, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, there's our setting, and a few verses later he says, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. So right around this time is when Jesus says he is the light of the world. It's either on the very last day of this feast or, or the day after when this special festival was taking place in the history of God's people. So what is this feast? Why is it important? Feast of the Tabernacles was one of the three uh, important feasts that the people of God who lived, oh, anywhere between you know, 15 miles or so from Jerusalem, they were pretty much required to attend and, and make their way into the city, to the temple, to worship, and to be part of the celebration, the feast. There was three important ones. Um, so there was tons of people in Jerusalem, especially at the end of the feast, the last day. Tons of people there. Well, if one of them is Passover, you probably know that's one of the feasts, Passover, uh, that they celebrate their exodus from Egypt and the, the lamb and the blood that they uh, put on the door frame and the angel of death passed over those who had it on their door. Another one was Pentecost, or the har- wheat harvest festival it was called, but ours is this one we need to talk about today, the Feast of Tabernacles. Here's a slide with some info about it, just some, some points to give us a little context. Uh, the Festival of Tabernacles really celebrated and remembered the 40 years that the Hebrews wandered in the desert. Remember that? After Exodus, they wander in the desert, um, living in these temporary shelters like tents or booths, the Bible sometimes called them, or, or the tabernacle that they built was a, a portable temple, a tent that they took. It thinks about and looks, points back to those years. Well, it was an eight-day festival that involved some imagery, uh, really two specifically, water and light. So water and light. Water was brought from the pool of, of Siloam. Uh, John records chapter 9. They'd bring it to the temple and they'd pour it over the altar. They'd pour water over the altar, thinking of the water that God provided in the wilderness. Well, light was also provided. Large lamps were built that were lit nightly in the temple courtyards throughout this festival. On the eighth day of the festival then, now when Jesus comes to say these words, uh, it was considered the last and the greatest day of the festival. And uh, all the people, there'd be the most people there, was the conclusion to this giant week of partying, really, of uh, feast and festival celebrating what God uh, had done for them. So it was the most joyful, really, of the feasts of the three uh, festivals they had. Uh, It was eight days of joy. Eight days of joy, you might call it. It celebrated God living amongst His people as they wandered in the desert and living amongst them in the tent they built. What was it called, the tent they built for God? The, The tabernacle, yeah, a tent they built where they went to worship. 
So they were celebrating God's real, God's grace and His real presence as they wandered in this Feast of Tabernacles now. They pointed back to the tent in the wilderness. They were celebrating God amongst His people. God's presence there with them. And the people at, at, during this feast, they would, they would actually even build a little tent sometimes in their courtyard to remember that. They put up a little tent and they would live in it. And I think some Jews still do that to this day. Build a little tent and they might live in it or, or have their meals in it at least during this time. They would do that as well to remember their ancestors wandering in the desert with God leading them. The water we talked about as they pour over the altar was part of this festival and how God miraculously provided water in the desert and would one day pour out living water. And this is one of the times when Jesus stands up and here's what he says. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Wow. Do you see that there? It's so amazing. Jesus says that as they are pouring water on the altar as part of this feast in their people's history, remembering God's promise and provision of water, I'm the true water you need, he says. I'll quench all your thirsts. All of them. It's amazing. But we're focused on light today. That's for another time. We're focused on light today. So here's our second piece of this feast, the festival of lights. The festival of lights that was going on. So during this Feast of Tabernacles, it was called the Illumination of the Temple. The Illumination of the Temple. So some people like to collect train sets. That's my toy temple set from home. Not really, I'm just kidding. It's not. On the first, but it is a, a, a picture of what the temple might have looked like. And on the first night of the feast, they would take four huge candles basically and they were set up in the center of the temple and their purpose were to remind the people of God's presence in the wilderness these big candles when he guided them by a pillar of what at night fire light yeah fire God's guidance and if you didn't follow it if you didn't have that light and you're wandering in the desert without GPS you're in trouble you're in big trouble without knowing where you're going in pre-map days you wander in darkness and alone. You're starting to see the connection here. I hope you're starting to see the connection. So after the sacrifices of the day, probably around sunset, the priests would leave the court of the Israelites and enter a place that was called the Court of Women where these four huge candelabras were. These big giant candles were. Each candle was probably about 75 feet tall. And we're not talking... We're talking big. 75 feet tall. And the top of a candle, each had four golden bowls at the top. Um, so about 16 golden bowls in total. And a tall ladder reached each. And wicks would be made from the worn out garments of the priest. And these were placed into each bowl that was then filled with oil. And then once they uh, were, did that, they would go up and light these bowls. And the candles were uh, set alight every evening in the temple, in the courtyard, in Jerusalem. So there would have been not a place in Jerusalem or a courtyard in Jerusalem that this light didn't flood or come from and light up a city. This light from the temple and these candlesticks. Think Christmas lights uh, like you've never seen before now. as these big, giant, 75-foot candles were lit. It might have looked something uh, like this, you see. Something like that. Think about this now. 
in a world where there's no electricity now. Remember, no electricity, no street lights at night. This light shining from Jerusalem must have been absolutely spectacular at nighttime. And it reminded them of the pillar of fire by night. God leading His people. His people following Him. This light. Try to imagine that scene. These massive lamps are burning light. Light reflecting off the limestone walls of the temple. Illuminating everything in Jerusalem and being seen for miles around. So here they are. They're celebrating God's living amongst His people as they wandered in the desert. God guiding them by, by, by light, through light. And they're following this, this pillar of light, following it. God as light points to the fact that He is truth. Only He can guide us because He is light. Not only those Israelites as they wandered directionally, but our hearts too. He's the only one because He is light. It speaks strongly of truth, reality. He's the one we need to guide us. He's the one we need to follow. The psalmist said this, the Lord is my light and salvation. Isaiah called God an everlasting light. An everlasting light. He guides because He's light. And the fire in the wilderness showed them that. Not only directionally, but spiritually. He is truth. So for seven nights they celebrate. And on the eighth night, the lights go out. The lights are extinguished. And it was probably on that eighth dark night that Jesus walked into the temple. That very area where those big candlesticks were lit just the night before, that was now dark. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of night. Jesus, the light of life, excuse me. Jesus waits until the lights go out. And then he says it. He shocks them with this amazing claim. Here's a quote from a guy I was reading this week, Daryl Johnson, that kind of sums up what Jesus is getting at here. I'm the light that pierces the darkness every night, illuminating the whole world. If you follow me, there will be light not only for seven joyous nights, but for every night and every day. The light of the four candelabra, it's a glorious light, I know, but in the end, it flickers and dies. I'm the light that never goes out. That's what Jesus was teaching the people. That's what he was saying to them. So we get back to light and darkness. Are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid of, of life? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of your future? Are you afraid of what God might ask of you? Are you afraid of the dark, the unknown of your life? Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me and I will give you light. I am the light. I will show you the obstacles of your life. I'll light your path wherever you're going. I will light up your life. This is the one we celebrate at Christmas. This is the coming light. This is Jesus Christ the light of the world. But did you see? Jesus says, I'm the light. But he says, whoever follows me. We have to follow him. You have to look at him. You have to trust him. You have to have, have faith in him. And the verse actually, really, it says, keep following. It's not just follow once. Really, Jesus' words mean keep, keep following. 
It means stay close to Jesus, in other words. You could put it that way. Stay close to Jesus. Keep looking. Just like our ancestors did as they followed the pillar of fire in the desert day after day. Forty years. Keep following, Jesus says. If you follow me, and he will light up your life. It'll light up everything. The light will show us the way. He will show us the way. So I want to do that now for our second half. I want to talk about the source of light now. The source and, and what he shows us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, saying you're wondering, so okay, great. So I trust him, I follow him. What does he show me? As light lights up, what does he show us? Here's a few things I want us to look at. Let's unpack it and apply it to our lives as we look at the source for a few minutes this morning as we follow him. Here's the first one. The light shows us God. The light of Jesus Christ shows us God. When we follow Jesus, we're not in the dark about God. We're given truth, light about God. We can know God, the Father, as He really is because Jesus is God. You know, essentially, the rest of this, this passage that the Millers read for us this morning, the rest of this, this passage uh, is really about that. The Pharisees responded to his divine light claim. Wait a minute. You're claiming some huge things about yourself here. You need another witness. We need somebody else to clear this up. Let us know what it means that you're the light of the world, that these things are true. You need another witness. And Jesus says, I have another witness, doesn't he? Your, your law says you need two people to witness. I have two. The Father who sent me is the other one. Me and the Father. The Father and I. It's the Father who sent me. God the Father who sent me. He says it in verses 18 and 19. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. There's our two witnesses. Well, they said to him, where's your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. The one born in the manger was and is God. He's God. The Father sent him, Jesus says. The Father bears witness to him, Jesus says. And Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. I heard it put one way. Jesus is God with a face. Jesus is God with a face. The Father and him are one. He is God. To know Jesus, to follow Jesus, is to know God. He reveals God to us. It's one of the things he does is the light. I'm so thankful because think about this. If the Israelites wandered without the fire, if you and I were never given the light of the world, Jesus Christ, what would our image of God be? How would we define, explain, create Him if we were left to ourselves? We don't get to begin with some we don't begin with some abstract concept of God and then figure it out. Find your way. Hopefully you got your iPhone. It's not that way. We would be endlessly pondering empty questions. Like a lot of philosophers have been doing for centuries. Philosophy's good. But you don't have to start with an empty hand. We have the light. When we start with the light of Jesus, he gets to because he's from the Father and God sent him, he gets to give us the idea of God because he is God. 
He gets to show us God. And what we see then of Jesus is true of the Father. Think about that. What you see of Jesus is true of the Father. He's just as kind as Jesus. He's just as merciful as Jesus. He's just as gracious as Jesus Christ and loving as Jesus. The Father is too. So do you want to know God? Then follow Jesus. Do you want to know God? Follow the light. The light shows us God. Jesus is claiming divinity here in this passage. There's no other way to read this. There really isn't. Here's the second one thing he shows us. He shows us God, but he also shows us our predicament. He shows us our predicament. He shows us what's going on in our life and that we actually can't follow him without being given the light. We can't. We look at Jesus, not only look at him, but look at his perfect life, what he showed us there. And then what God requires of us in His holiness. And and then you add to that the state of our dark world. And you know humanity has got a big problem. A predicament. Christmas shows us that. It's great news, yes. But it also shows us a big problem that that our problem was so big that God had to come to earth. Our predicament was so dire that Christ took on a body. That Jesus came to earth. When Christ was born, we're saying the light came down. Our theme is the coming light. The light came down because we are born in darkness. We're born in darkness. We're born spiritually blind or dead, you might say. When you were a kid, what was the one time that you did actually like darkness? It wasn't bedtime. I heard somebody say, I think. Hide and seek, yeah. Hide and seek. That was the one time you liked darkness. You kind of go and hide in a, in a corner of the closet, maybe behind the, the laundry basket. You're kind of down under the laundry there, and, and you're kind of, oh, it's dark. They're not going to see you. But then you know, your brother or sister, somebody, your friend would come. They'd peek in, right? And the light would what? It would reveal you. There I am. Ah, I found you. Right? The one time we loved darkness. Christ does this. He shows us our predicament. And we all kind of come to the world playing this big game of hide and seek. And here comes Jesus, the light. The light of the world to shine in to your hiding place. To shine into my dark corner of the closet where I want to hide and not be found. He comes. He shines out and exposes us. We're born blind in the dark, hiding. And Jesus comes and He shows us our predicament, our sin, our need of a Savior, our need to be be freed. And He says it a little later in John 8. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you what? Free. The truth will set you free. A Savior is what we need and that's what we get in the coming light. This is what Advent is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Advent's about. Follow Jesus, and you'll see God, but then you'll see your predicament, but you'll also see a Savior. You'll also see a Savior. Which leads us to our third thing, that the light shows us God, our predicament, 
And if you keep following Jesus, He shows you God's will. He shows you God's will for your life. Jesus Christ reveals God's great plan for our lives. God's great plan of redemption, of saving people. What does the verse say? If you follow Him, you will never walk in darkness. He gives us God's will. It's a great plan. This great plan of saving us through Jesus. And then as we follow, making us more and more like Him in life. What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are your plans for your life? What are mine? Or what's God's plan for, for, for Bethany Church? What does the future hold for each and every one of us now in this room? Yeah, I live life and I want to know the plans now. Give me the plans now. I want to know what's not going to happen just tomorrow or today, but like many days from now. Give me that. Give me that, God. Let me know. Have you ever been on a plane? and you're uh, flying and you're chasing the sunset? Anybody ever been on a plane? You're kind of heading westward, uh, maybe back east somewhere in the United States, and you're heading and you're chasing the sunset. You're kind of chasing the light as it goes away. It's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible to catch the sun. And sooner or later, it's kind of, it goes behind the horizon. I, I want to catch God's plan like that sometimes. Like, I want it now. Let me catch the sun. That's not how he works. He does give us his plan. He does reveal God's will, Jesus. But he first and foremost reveals it in his word. That's it. That's where you can know God's will for your life. Jesus spoke. He was the word. He gave us. He revealed to us God. He gave us the plan of salvation. He completed the plan of salvation. It's how he works. He's revealed it in God's word. Jesus has come and given it to us. He hasn't given you or me, even though I want it, the blueprint for my life. Every kind of angle and every corner and what's around every and inside and up inside every cupboard or attic. He hasn't given us the blueprint for your life. And He probably won't tell you what decision to make between two equally good things in life. That's what we really want to know, don't we? This one or this one? Tell me, God. He probably won't do that. But He will guide you if you follow. If you're faithful. Day by day by day by day, just like God led the Israelites day by day through the desert with that pillar of fire. That's how he leads us. Daily faithfulness. Daily following. That's how he shows us the will of God. Day by day as we follow. But he does tell you and the fourth thing he shows us, he does tell you how it will end. He does show us that, that we will grow in intimacy with him. He shows us really, the light shows us life. It's our final thing he shows us this morning. The light shows us life, real life, true life, intimate life, the life you were created for yet fell from. That's what he shows us. He does show us the end. The blueprints aren't there in the middle, but he shows us the end. I love, I love Christmas. I do. Some of you, it, probably a lot of you, it's your favorite holiday 
of the year. Something about the repetition, the tradition, you might even call it, so I know it's a strange word, you might even call it liturgy, kind of those repeating things that form our hearts and our loves. That's why we love the songs over and over again year after year. That's why we love the lights and the tree and the house and the feast. It's that habit forming, that's good habit forming and love shaping, heart shaping things we do at Christmas. I love that. Something about all the lights and the nativity and the wreaths and the garland and the candlelight Christmas Eve service we're going to have, all those things. The warmth, driving around the streets and seeing all the lights on people's homes. And I didn't realize Wait Park, they light that thing up. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I didn't even know that. We were driving home, I guess I was driving here Friday and, or after Friday after our carolers. And, Whoa, I love that stuff. I get hopeful. Do you? I, I, I get excited. But I've also lived long enough now to know that the week after Christmas, and some of you are really thinking, yeah, and, the, and into January, that's a really rough time for me. I just know. I've lived enough Christmases now to know. Maybe it's for you too. The streets are so sad, aren't they? And barren and lonely after Christmas when all the lights are extinguished. You're driving around, is this my town? You know, it feels that different. It probably felt that way in Jerusalem right after they extinguished the temple lights in the courtyard at the Festival of Lights, too. And I know for you, many of you, the holidays and post-holidays can be a hard time, too, when the lights go out, whatever those lights are. It was one Christmas in particular. I think it was 2010 for me. I think that's when it was. And it was actually, it was a tough time in our life, actually, Christmas 2010. My work, my work situation at the church I was pastoring at, was, we were going through a rough season as a, as a church in general. It's a hard time. So I took time off after Christmas, and I was dreading going back. That's how I was feeling. I was dreading going back to, like, real life. Have you had that feeling before? I took time off work, and, and Christmas had ended then. I still had, like, a week off, and, and the lights began to turn off, too. Christmas decorations were put away, and one by one, each home stopped turning on their lights. You know how that happens after Christmas, and some people leave them on longer than others. One by one, the homes get turning off their lights, except for one. And we lived in this little, at the bottom of kind of a hill or a little valley, you might say. And up on this hill, there was this one home that kept its lights on well into January. This is even after I went back to work and I was like really down. It was really a hard time. And it became kind of this weird ritual for me. I would walk outside at night, every night in January, after it was dark, just to see oh, are their lights still on? I'd look up at the title, are, are their lights still on? And Oh, they're on still. And, and, and I know it's kind of weird. Christmas is gone, I was thinking, but it became this symbol for me of this glimmer of hope that, oh, well, those lights are still there on that one house. Night after night until finally one night I went out and they too had turned off their lights. I know it's kind of strange, but that one house, for some reason, had become this symbol of beacon of of, of, of hope for me. But even that was turned off. Too many of us are looking, I myself, to temporary lights. Lights that will fade. Lights that will be turned off. Whether it's a relationship 
or a spouse or your job or your leisure time or even the Christmas holiday itself can become a temporary light, a temporary light that will fade, that will get turned off. Only Jesus, it's the only thing who says, if you follow me, this light will never go out and I will give you life. It's the only one. That house turned off its lights. It's a good thing they did because it was getting a little long. It was time to turn them off. It was. It was way into January. Look to me, Jesus says. Follow me, he says. All the lights of this world will fail you and they're all only a temporary fix and a lot of them are good things. But they should point you to the light that will never dim. The light that will never flicker. The light that will never go out. That's what they do. You'll never walk in darkness, he says. Here's why. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians. It fits so nicely with what we're talking about. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. There's that phrase, in the face of Jesus Christ. That's Christmas right there. That's Advent season right there. See God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's your hope. There's your life. There's the truth. There is, there's light. Look to Jesus. It makes me think of that, that uh, old hymn. I think you, you probably know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. This table, this table shows us that light. This table shows us. It's a picture of the manger. It's a picture of that verse we read. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As here we see what He came to do, don't we? Yes, he came to be born, but he came with an ultimate purpose, didn't he? To live and to die for us. To make a way back to God. That's what Christmas is about. That's what I want December to be about for us. The joy of knowing him through Jesus. As our servers come forward and come to the front and prepare to pass out the elements, I want you just to take a moment. Take a moment. Maybe it's the first time ever that you'll confess your need of this Savior. Confess your need of a Savior to pay for your sin. Take a moment and let's just ponder that. Let's think about that for a few moments and then we'll have the servers serve in a moment.